Do you have your Bible this morning? Good. 1 Kings chapter 17 is where you need to go. 1 Kings chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab one from the pew rack there in front of you. Find 1 Kings chapter 17 so you can follow along as we study God's Word together. Last week we began what will be a 10-week long look at the life of Elijah as revealed primarily in 1 Kings, the end of 1 Kings and the beginning of 2 Kings. But a New Testament text is actually the motivation behind this series. In James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, James talks about Elijah as a man who was like us, men with a nature like ours. And we're going to see that over these 10 weeks, how he is like us. And James refers to him as a man of power. He talks about his prayer life and how he prayed and it didn't rain. And he prayed and then the rains came. And we will see God's power on display through the life of Elijah over these 10 weeks. We set the stage last week by talking about kings and kingdoms so that we understand where all of this takes place on the Old Testament timeline uh, in the history of redemption. We talked about the evil king Ahab. You may remember um, the the picture, the word picture from R.G. Lee uh, when he said he is a vile toad who squatted on the throne of Israel. Remember that? Ahab is a bad, bad guy, the worst of the worst so far in the history of God's people. We talked about the evil king Ahab. We talked about the evil queen Jezebel. Remember, R.G. Lee described her as a beautiful but poisonous snake who was coiled around the throne of Israel. She seems to be the one who's really calling the shots here. And then we talked about the pagan god Baal, who, I will remind you, controls fertility and wealth by controlling the rain. Um, Baal is the god who brings the rain. You need to remember that as we look at the text today. And then, finally, we met Elijah, this bold prophet who comes out of nowhere to speak a word of prophecy to the king that is perfectly in step with what God had said generations earlier when he gave the law to his people. When God gave the law to his people and told them what to do and what not to do, he also told them what would happen when they were obedient particularly that he would send the rains in their seasons and that their fields would produce harvests plentiful. And he told them what would happen when they did not obey him. And one curse in particular was that it would not rain when it was supposed to rain and their fields would not grow and bear a harvest. And so when Elijah speaks to evil King Ahab and says, it's not going to rain, he is simply declaring what God has already said. He's simply declaring the revealed word of God. We talked last week at the end that our days, the days in which we live, are a lot like Elijah's days. Um, There is rampant idolatry, there is rampant immorality and sensuality in our culture, and also within the family of God, within the people of God. It's not just out there that there's a problem, it is in here that there is a problem. These days are like those days, and those days required a prophetic voice. And these days require a prophetic voice, men and women who will stand up and, like Elijah, declare what the Lord has said. We're not looking for some new word. We're not looking for some new word of revelation or of wisdom, but men and women who will stand up and declare, thus saith the Lord. He has already spoken, amen, and we want to declare what he has said. We talked about also how the prophet who stands and declares what the Lord has said will often feel lonely be persecuted, yet will be provided for by the Lord. And you remember we saw that last week with the ravens when God sends uh, Elijah to the brook Kareth and, and says, I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. Every morning and every evening they will bring you bread and they will bring you meat and you will drink from the brook. Although Elijah was discouraged, 
and lonely and persecuted, he was provided for by the Lord. And we will too. We will be too. And then we talked about the question of, is it worth it? Is it worth it to be the prophet who speaks the word of the Lord into a decaying culture if persecution and loneliness are the result? And the answer is absolutely it's worth it. Absolutely. The, the most terrifying thing is that, is that God would not speak, is that every prophet would shut his mouth and there would be no word from the Lord. Uh, it's worth it to speak what the Lord has said to our neighbors uh, and to the nations. Well, this week we're going to move on to the next scene and the next episode in the life of Elijah. Some of the themes from last week are going to be repeated. Some of them are going to be expanded here as the Lord gives the prophet some surprising directions. If you remember where we left off, uh, it says the brook had dried up. The brook had dried up because it was not raining, just as the Lord had said. And so here is the prophet by the brook, no more water in the brook. And it says in 1 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 8, God says these words. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please give me a little water in a jar that I may drink. She said, as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go, do as you said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Let's pray together. Father, we, we come before you uh, this morning, um, and we acknowledge, I acknowledge my weaknesses, my shortcomings, my inabilities, my limits. Recognize that, that I don't have what it takes today. Or any day. And therefore rely on your strength. Your power. I pray particularly. That you will help me to preach. A better sermon than, than what I've written. And that you will help these people to hear a better sermon than I preach. Because we believe that you desire for your people to hear your word. We believe that you desire to speak to us individually today and collectively as we're gathered together. So we pray that you'll do it. You'll do it. That you'll make yourself heard and known and seen. And that our lives will be forever changed as we encounter you in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're just going to walk right through this text. Verse by verse, kind of chunk by chunk. It's good stuff in the text today. Look at verse 8. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, now we saw this phrase last week. In fact, uh, if, if you're a 
underliner, circle, or highlighter, or whatever, I, I would highlight that because it's going to come up a few times as we look through Elijah's life. The word of the Lord came to him. Uh, we saw this phrase last week after Elijah declared the coming judgment to King Ahab. The word of the Lord came to him, directed him to go out into the wilderness where the Lord provided for him and, and uh, provided for him in some unusual ways, right? These ravens who brought him bread and meat every morning and every evening and this brook from which to drink. It is the word of the Lord that was the guiding light for Elijah, right? It is the word of the Lord that is guiding Elijah throughout his life. And I want to tell you that it is the word of the Lord that is the guiding light for you and me today. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And maybe that is all, the main thing that you need to hear today. Maybe not all you need to hear today, but the main thing you need to hear today. Because I think there are people in this room who, who are struggling to know what, what is God's will for my life. And you're seeking after the Lord's direction in your life. You want to know where he wants you to go. And, and, and my encouragement to you is take up the book and read. His word will be the guide to you. Don't just go into your closet and shut the door and, and ask for a vision. Don't, don't just turn off the lights and ask for a dream. If you want to know the Lord's direction for your life, take up the book and read. He, he has spoken already. We don't just ask for him to speak. We, he has already spoken. And so we take up the book and we say, all right, Lord, you direct me with your word. Your word says it is a lamp to my feet. And so show me the path as I study your word. If you want to know the Lord's will for your life, my biggest encouragement to you is take up the book and read his word and let him, let him lead you through his word. The word of the Lord came to him saying, verse 9, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow to provide for you there. Now the command to go to the wilderness that we looked at last week is interpreted by many as a way to spare Elijah from the drama and the potential violence that resulted from his his uh, communication with the king. Now, this command goes the exact opposite way. This is not a command to go off into a safe place where you will be uh, insulated and spared. This is, a, this is a call to go the entire opposite direction. Uh, I want to make just a few observations that will get more intense as we go. For one thing, this command to go to Zarephath is about 100 miles away from the brook Kareth. So if Elijah is still at the brook Kareth and it is dried up and he says, I want you to go to Zarephath in Sidon, it's about 100 miles between those two places. Now 100 miles for you and me to travel, no big deal, right? We get in the car, we drive for an hour and a half, 100 miles, we're there. If you are on foot, 100 miles is a huge deal. And this is a huge deal for Elijah because not only is he called here to travel 100 miles on foot, he is going to travel through some very difficult terrain. If you look at this geographically, it's not like he's walking through a garden. It's not like he's walking through a, a nice meadow. He is walking through hostile land, uh, environmentally hostile and uh, Population-wise, it's hostile. He, God is calling him, basically, to walk right through the heart of enemy territory. Now, I'll give you a little side note. Uh, as, as we read more and more about Elijah, I think you will become convinced, like I am convinced, that Elijah was a serious athlete. Um, you're going to see a scene later on where he tells King Ahab it's going to rain and you better get back to the palace before you get stuck in this rainstorm. And the, and the king takes off in his chariot uh, on a, I think it's about a 60-mile journey on the chariot, and Elijah outruns him. 
I think Elijah was a serious athlete, and so as much as this 100-mile journey was a big deal, uh, I'm, I'm almost convinced it was the first ever ultramarathon trail run. Um, and, and maybe this is the conditioning uh, that Elijah did so he could outrun that chariot later on. Anyway you slice it, it's 100 miles away. I want you to leave here, this place in the wilderness, and I want you to go over here 100 miles away. Second thing we want to notice is that this place, this Zarephath in Sidon, is the homeland, virtually the hometown of Jezebel. This is where Jezebel is from. Her father is the king of this, this area. This is go, go to the evil queen's hometown. And we know that this would also have been the epicenter of Baal worship. Now, I told you last week that when Elijah says to King Ahab, it's not going to rain, it's not just an indictment, it's not just a punishment from the Lord because of the people's sins, it is a confrontation with Baal who they think makes it rain. And he is saying, Baal can't make it rain. And so God is saying, I want you to leave. I want you to leave this place of isolation, this place of safety, and I want you to go right into the heat of the battle. I want you to go right to Jezebel's hometown. I want you to go to Baal's hometown, essentially. That's where he sends him. In fact, this is further emphasized when we study the, the name of this place he is called to go. Zarephath means literally the crucible or the place of testing. So what I want you to see overall in this call for, for Elijah, the call of God for Elijah to leave where he's at and go to this place, is this is not some cute, simple, light direction from the Lord. It is not some convenient or reasonable, humanly speaking, reasonable command from God. This is a bold and unexpected command that God is saying, I want you to leave this place and go to that place, but I'm going to provide for you there. I've commanded a widow to take care of you there. And this reminds me of Psalm 23, a famous psalm that is read at almost every funeral I've ever been to. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And that is exactly what God is going to do. He's going to take Elijah right into the presence of his enemies, and he's going to provide for him there. He's going to prepare a table before him in the presence of his enemies. One last observation about this widow. God says he commands this widow. Oddly enough, in the scene last week, uh, God provided for Elijah's needs through an unclean raven, an unclean raven in the wilderness. And here in the scene that we're looking at this week, he is going to provide through an unclean, humble, poor widow. This is a pagan woman in a pagan land that God is going to use to provide for his prophet. Right here, we see the exact same language as we saw last week about the ravens. And when he tells Elijah to go to the brook Kareth, he says, Behold, I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. And here he says, I want you to go to Zarephath, for behold, I have commanded a widow to provide for you there. Now evidently, it's the same kind of command as unto the ravens, because the widow seems to be totally unaware of this. When we meet the widow later on in the text, she doesn't come out to the gate looking for a prophet to provide for, Right? She comes out to the gate gathering up sticks to make one last meal so she can die. And yet God has raised her up unbeknownst to her. He has raised her up to take care of his man. And, and I don't know if any of you have started a, a new Bible reading plan this year, uh, but I have, and I'm in the kind of early part of Acts. And several times so far, uh, from Acts chapter 1 to wherever we're at today, I've seen these kind of divine appointments where God has raised up someone to take care of someone else. But in those scenes in Acts, he tells them that it's going to happen. 
He communicates the command to both sides of the equation. Peter, go here, and this guy will take care of you. And you preach to him. And this guy, and to this guy, he says, hey, Peter's coming. You need to be ready for him, right? It's a two-way street in Acts. But here it's not. God has commanded this widow, but she's totally unaware that she's going to be used by the Lord to provide for his prophet. So just hang on to that as we move forward and study this text today. Bottom line in verse 9 is that sometimes the Lord's directions are a little crazy. Sometimes the Lord's directions are a little crazy from a human perspective. But I want to tell you that what is truly crazy is to have a clear word from the Lord and not do it. You may think it's crazy to leave the brook and the place of safety and go right into the crucible. But I'm telling you, if God has told you to do that, it's crazy not to do it. It's crazy not to go to Jezebel's hometown, to Baal's hometown, when the Lord has called you to do it. The crazy thing is not to be obedient to the Lord's crazy commands. The crazy thing is not to be obedient to the Lord's commands. I think I said that right. You get where I'm going with this, right? If the Lord has spoken clearly to you and you do not do it, you are crazy. If the Lord has spoken something crazy to you clearly and you do it, you're the most reasonable person in the planet. It's the only thing that makes sense. And praise the Lord, we have people here who are being obedient to the Lord's crazy directions for their lives. Let that be a challenge to us, that we would be obedient. Like Elijah was, look at verse 10. It says, so he arose and went to Zarephath, went to the crucible. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please give me a little water in a jar that I may drink. And she was going to get it. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. First thing I want you to see is that Elijah is quickly obedient. We're not told in the scriptures, but I wonder how long it was between when the brook dried up and when the word of the Lord came to him and told him to go to the Zarephath in in Sidon. How long was it that he sat there thirsty before the Lord said, Go? But when the Lord said, Go, he went. He did it. He did what the Lord said to do when the Lord said to do it, and that should be a challenge to us. This is the kind of obedience, this is the kind of obedience that is the demonstration of real faith. When the Lord says go, you go. And you go where he tells you to go. When he tells you to go. One observation, as you read through these verses, he comes to the city gate. Significant that it says he came to the city gate because that's where the powerful and influential men of the city did business. The movers and the shakers were there at the city gate, and yet the Lord had sent him to a widow. It seems like if the prophet is going to get some help, he's going to get help from these prominent men. But God doesn't send him to the prominent men. God sends him to this poor widow. And widows were poor. The widows in this day were vulnerable. They were outcast. In fact, when we meet this woman, she is gathering sticks herself because she has no servant to do it for her. She is not rich, she is not wealthy, she is not influential, she is the lowest of the low, and in at the very city gate where all the uppity-ups were, God gives him the widow. Notice also that when Elijah meets the widow, he speaks to this marginalized foreigner who was unclean from his perspective. He speaks to her with great politeness and kindness even as he makes this request. Elijah doesn't speak to her with bitterness. He doesn't look down on her. He's not a snob to her. He is kind to her and polite to her as he makes this request. He asks for water, 
And once she begins to oblige, he ratchets it up a notch. And, and that may seem crude to you. Like when, when, when we just read through this, he comes to the gate, he sees this widow, and he says, hey, can you get me a drink of water? And she's like, absolutely, right away. And she, she goes to get him a drink of water, and he says, oh, by the way, I need some bread too. And to us, that seems totally out of bounds. Like, who does this guy think that he is? But the way we should read this is that he is a guy who trusts what the Lord has told him. God has said, I have commanded a widow to provide for you there. This is not, this is not Elijah presuming upon the widow. This is Elijah trusting the word of the Lord. When he says to the widow, bring me some bread, he is expressing his confidence in the promises of God. He's not being rude being unkind to her. He is expressing his trust in God. It's not Elijah asking much of her. It's Elijah trusting much in the Lord. Look what happens though in verse 12. He makes this request for a piece of bread. Verse 12 says, but that, that signals a change of tone. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, we could probably spend a ton of time there. I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Well, here things take a turn for the worse, right? And, and one would think that this statement from the widow would destroy Elijah's confidence. He's just gone into the crucible. He's just gone into the fire. The widow is there. She's willing to give him water. He asks for bread and then he hears, she's got nothing. Right? That's what we learn. That's what we learn about this widow. She has a son, and that's it. <laughs> she has a son, and that is absolutely all she has. She has just enough materials, just enough ingredients to make a little bit of bread for her and her son to eat, and then they're going to die. Right? So this woman, who is identified as a widow, who even on a good day would have been living on the edge, is now at the end of her rope. She is without hope. One more meal. How depressing is that? She says, I can't make bread for you. I'm out here gathering sticks so that I can go home and make one last little fire and, and bake one last little loaf of bread and feed it to my son and eat some myself. And that's it. We're done after that. We will die. But here's what I want you to do. Don't miss in her sad story the fact that God is faithful to his word. Why does she not have any flour? And why doesn't she have any oil? Because it's not raining. It's not raining because God said it would not rain. God is faithful to his word both to stop the rain, just like Elijah said, and he is faithful to his word to provide for Elijah. He is faithful to his word to provide for Elijah. For you see, this widow is absolutely incapable on her own of providing for Elijah. God has raised up the widow, but he's going to use the widow to provide for Elijah directly. Does this make sense? It's not as if the, the widow says, yeah, come to my house. I've, I'm, a, I'm a prepper, and I've got all of this you know, cellar full of flour and oil. I've been waiting for this day. No. She says, I've got nothing to give to you. I've got one more meal for me and my son, and then we'll die. God is faithful to his word because he is going to provide for Elijah. He's also going to provide for this widow on the way, on the way. So zoom out a little bit from verse 12, and let's remember that this is Baal's hometown. Let's remember that this is Baal's hometown, and he can't even take care of his own people there. 
and yet the one true God, the living God, Yahweh, is going to take care of his man and this pagan widow right in Baal's backyard because Baal is completely incapable of taking care of his people, and God is always capable of taking care of all the people. Look at verse 13. In light of this sad story, Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go, do as you said, but make a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. Her needy state and her sad story does not diminish Elijah's confidence one bit. He says to her, he, you and I would say, oh no, what are we going to do? The widow that the Lord has commanded to provide for me doesn't have anything. The Lord must not be faithful. But Elijah knows that the Lord is faithful. And so he says to the woman, do not fear. It doesn't make any sense, humanly speaking, but he trusts the Lord. And this statement from Elijah seems to be the exact opposite statement of Jesus' followers to him when he feeds the multitude. Do you remember that scene in the New Testament? where Jesus has been teaching and there's this huge crowd of people and he's like, it's getting late and we need to feed them. And, and the disciples say, we, we, don't, we don't have much of anything. There's this one kid here who's got five loaves and two fish, but what is that? What is that to take care of all of these people? You remember that statement? That's no kind of faith. What is that to take care of all of these people? You remember what Jesus does? Takes the five loaves, two fish, blesses them, breaks them, distributes it to thousands of people, Right? And there are baskets and baskets of garbage left over. Remember that scene? The next day, the disciples get in a boat to go across the lake. And they rem remember halfway across, we didn't bring any bread. And they begin to panic. And Jesus is like, don't you remember yesterday? You just trust me. Their statement of what is that for all of these people is the exact opposite of what Elijah says. She says, all I have, all I have is one little bit of flour and one little bit of oil. She says, what is that? And he says, that'll do. That'll do. That'll do for a long time. And his confidence, notice, notice how it goes here. Elijah's request to feed him first and then herself and her son is an invitation for this widow to trust. And Elijah is inviting her not just to trust him, Notice he bases this on the word of God, on the promise of God. He says, make it for me first and then for your son and you. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted and the jar of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. God is going to provide for her until it rains. And God is going to provide for Elijah through her for a while. He is inviting her to trust, not him, but the Lord ultimately. And the Lord provides. Look at verse 15. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. How much, how much flour did she have? One loaf worth. And they ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. This poor, vulnerable, pagan woman trusts and obeys. Trusts and obeys. These two things always go together, do they not? Because if you trust, you will obey. 
And she trusts the word of Elijah, the word of the Lord. And she obeys against all human wisdom. She makes a cake for this pagan, this, this foreign traveler. He's not a pagan. She's a pagan. This foreign traveler, he makes a lo- she makes a loaf for him first. And the Lord continues to provide. And I think it's interesting that the Lord took care of her just like he said he would. Because he's always faithful. And he can be trusted. But I think it's interesting how he did it. The text does not at all read like, and then she went to her house and her her jar was full. Her bowl was full. No, it simply says it never ran out. And it seems to me like it's a day-by-day provision from the Lord. That every day was the last scoop of flour and the last bit of oil. And and tomorrow, there was another scoop of flour and another bit of oil. Trusting the Lord day-by-day-by-day. Just like he did with the ravens. The ravens didn't bring him a month's supply of bread and meat. They brought him enough for the morning and enough for the evening. This is what the Lord does. The Lord took care of her just like he said he would. He's faithful. He can be trusted. And therefore, I'm inviting you. Here's the first application. I'm inviting you, all of you, to trust the Lord and obey him. To trust the Lord and obey him. This is what Paul refers to in Romans as the obedience of faith. We see it in Elijah. The Lord says, go to Zarephath and I'll provide for you through a widow there. That's crazy, Lord. And I'm on my way to Zarephath, 100 miles away. And the Lord does it. We see it in the widow. She trusts the word of Elijah. She trusts the word of the Lord through Elijah. And she obeys. She makes the cake. And the Lord provides and provides and provides. And we want to live like that, right? When the Lord says do, we do. Why? Because we trust him. Because he doesn't fail. He's not going to lead us in a bad place. He may lead us to a dangerous place. He may call us to the crucible. But it will be for his glory. And he'll provide for us there. Even when it's a little crazy, trust and obey. Remember, what's really crazy is to know what the Lord wants you to do and not do it. The obedience of faith, trust and obey, that's number one. Number two big application here is this meeting of needs. This this idea that the flour and the oil never run out. And the application that I'm not going to make is that if you will just trust God, your flour will never run out. It's not a I think that's I think that's weak. I think that is a weak application of what's going on here. I think if you listen to a preacher preach this text and that's what he gives you and he doesn't go any further, he's failed you. He's given you crumbs. When there's gold to be had in this text. Because something better than bread and flour has come. Something better than a never-ending bowl of flour and a never-ending jar of oil has come in the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone better than Elijah has come in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the way Jesus says it himself in John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus is the bread. You know what is better? You know what is better than a never-ending jar, a bowl of flour and jar of oil? Is one meal that lasts forever. And that's what Jesus is for us. So I am not going to take this text and say, if you'll just trust in the Lord, you'll never be hungry again physically. I'm telling you, if you just trust in the Lord, you'll never be hungry again spiritually. You may get hungry physically, and you may suffer physically, but you will have a joy forevermore in the Lord Jesus Christ, and a life forevermore. There's something better than flour and oil. 
the bread of life. There's someone better than Elijah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has made provision in abundance for you that lasts forever and is spiritual. The last application is about a global gospel. Jesus, actually, in Luke chapter 4, go ahead and turn there, Luke chapter 4. Jesus, in one of his first sermons, preaches this text. He uses this story to show Israel that God is not just concerned about them. That God is concerned about all kinds of people. That that God is not a local God. He's not a tribal God. He's a global God with a global gospel. Look at it in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 20. Jesus is gathered with the people in the synagogue. And in chapter 4, verse 20, it says, He closed the book after he had read, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all of them in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever was heard, heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. That's terrifying. No prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Catch what he says there? He says this Messiah is not just for Israel. I'm the Messiah for the whole world. He says, even, even think back. There were lots of widows in Israel. If God was going to use a widow to provide for Elijah, he could have found an Israelite widow, right? But he doesn't. He sends him off outside the promised land, off to the pagan widow to provide for him there. Why? Because God cares about all kinds of people. He's a global God, and this is a global gospel that we preach. Read on in, in Luke. He cites a second story that we could look at later on. It says, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, who took over for Elijah, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Again, an outsider. And verse 28 is chilling. It says, And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage when they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to a brow on a hill in, on which their city had been built in order to throw him down from the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went on his way. They didn't like this idea of a global God with a global gospel. They didn't like the idea of a, a global Messiah. You know, that's who Jesus is. That's important for us to hear today. That God is not just working to redeem folks like us, but men and women from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That Jesus didn't just come to die for you. He came to die for all kinds of other folks. Enemies, outsiders, pagans. In a little while, we're going to spend some time praying over Josh and Blair as they go to a foreign land to take the gospel to people that many of you would be afraid of. Because God is a global God. And the gospel is global good news. And they need to hear. God cares about all kinds of people and is redeeming all kinds of people. Enemies, outsiders, and pagans. Folks who have a different gender than you. Folks who are from a different economic background from you. Who have a different marital status. 
all kinds of different folks around here, not just out there, but around here. He's redeeming all kinds of people. So we need to preach the gospel to all kinds of people, right? It's global good news. Global God who meets needs in ways that we could never imagine and who directs our paths according to his purpose. Let's stand together and pray. Father, help us as we respond to your word today to be obedient, to trust you and your word and obey you. I'm thankful for that old song that says, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Help us to obey, even when it seems crazy. Remind us that what's crazy is to know your directive and not do it. Father, we're thankful that you've met our needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You've not just given us bread for our bellies, you've given us bread for our souls in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you that you're a global God with a global gospel because I'm an outsider, a Gentile, and you brought the good news to me, and you showed your grace to me, and you brought me in and adopted me into your family, not because I deserved it, but because you're full of grace and mercy, and you're glorified in the salvation of sinners. I pray that you'll glorify yourself in this room this morning as you save sinners Pray that you glorify yourself throughout the globe as you rescue and redeem men and women and boys and girls from every tribe and tongue and people and nation through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray.